You know, you know, SP, the thing I love about SP is that SP is like so effortlessly fruitful. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? It's just like, like a group of people in Singapore basically called Pastor Sam. It's like, we got to start a church here. You know what I mean? It's like, okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right in the beginning, I know I, I didn't know I didn't know if that was divulgable or not, but I, I know like in the beginning you like rebuked them. He was like, no. <laughs> and then after a while, he's like, oh, all right, okay, let's do it. And and it's like that's and I mean New York and like uh, all of these things, Beijing. I, I, I better shut up. I don't know what I'm supposed to say or not not say. The point is, y'all just be fruitful. I mean, just fertile, just, you're the most fertile body that I've, I've ever, ever seen or known. It's amazing. Now, Jesus said uh, that he's the true vine and his father's the vine dresser. And he said, every branch in me that bears fruit, I prune it so that it can bear more fruit. We don't like to be pruned. Because pruning feels like the opposite of fruitfulness. Yeah, yeah. But pruning is actually the prelude to greater fruitfulness. Yeah. Now, I want to talk to you about something tonight that might seem almost even inappropriate for a 20-year anniversary celebration. But I feel led of the Lord to go here tonight. So I'm going to read a passage of scripture to you. Out of uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30, um, I promise you that this is going to get to a good place. Don't be scared. Um, 1 Samuel chapter 30, beginning at verse 1, this is what it says. Now it happened. Sorry, I hear you still turning. I'm give you 10 seconds to get there. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. This is what it says. I'm reading from the New King James Version, the Bible. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire, and had taken captive the women and those who were there from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Verse 4, this is the key. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. I want to talk to you tonight about the power to weep. We know that God gives power to heal, but did you know that he gives power to weep? We know that God gives power to prophesy, but did you know that God gives power to weep? God gives power to overcome temptation, but did you know that God also gives power to weep? Did you know that weeping can actually be a gift of the spirit? And that actually the gift of weeping can actually be the key that unlocks the next season of victory. A season that you would not have access to unless you laid hold of the power to weep. Father, I pray tonight in the name of the Lord Jesus that you speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. That you'd grant clarity and understanding to every heart and every soul. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We went through something recently. My wife was in Indonesia two weeks ago. And I get a call on Thursday afternoon from Pastor Larry Ann Davis. She's on our staff. Well, she's not a full-time staff member. She's a community pastor and an elder in our church. Her, Her and her husband, Vern Davis, have been elders at our church for about 15 years And her husband's been ill lately, and every time I see her name on my phone, my heart drops. 
And Thursday afternoon, a week and a half ago on Thursday, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I get a call from her, and she said, Vern just went home to be with the Lord just now. He's gone. I said, wow. All right, I'm on the way. I'm on the way. And I jumped in my car, and I had to go to Dublin to pick up my daughter, had to take her to my mom and dad's, and then had to drive to Oakland, and that whole turnaround took me two and a half hours to get there. And I went directly into pastor mode. And I called my friend John. My friend John is my kind of emotional litmus test, right? So he's like, what's going on? I said, well, one of the elders in my church just died. And I'm going to pick up my daughter and take her to my mom and dad's house, and then I'm going to go visit the family. And he goes, Benjamin, that's big. I said, yeah, that's big. He goes, no, Benjamin, that's big. I said, yeah, I know, that's big. He goes, but you don't sound like it's big. You sound like you're okay. And I said, I know, huh? I mean, I kind of am okay. It's like, and he's like, okay. But, you know, you do your pastor thing tonight, but make sure to allow yourself to be human at some point over the next few days. And I went and I was with the family that evening, got there just as the body was being brought out of the house. And I got to grab the family members one by one and hold them in my arms and, and, and just let them weep together and stand there with them. And, and then I sat there with them and I ordered dinner for the family and I, sat, I just ministered to the family for the next two or three hours. I spent the whole evening there and I just felt so good and I felt so strong and I felt so encouraged and I felt so strengthened for that opportunity to minister to this family and I go home that night and the next evening my wife FaceTimes me from Indonesia. She had just heard the news and as soon as I saw her face, she broke into tears and just began to weep and it was at that moment that I had access to my own emotions and she and I wept together. And suddenly I experienced my own mourning. And the next morning I woke up and I just wept and I wept and I wept and I wept. See, I have this thing that I do where I'm instantly okay. Because that's what a believer is supposed to be, is instantly okay. After all, you've been saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit, on fire for God, full of the word of God, no weapon forged against you prospers, every tongue that rises up in judgment against you you shall refute, you're covered from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, his favor surrounds you like a shield, he's your glory and the lifter of your head, how can I not be okay? And so I go into this thing where I'm instantly okay. Or so I think. And what I'm learning is that I have to allow myself not to be okay for a minute. Because if if I don't allow myself not to be okay for a minute, that emotion has to go somewhere. In August, I got rear-ended on the freeway. I got in a car accident. Tore up the back end of my car. The guy was late for work, and he decided that he would try to get there quickly by tailgating me. The traffic in front of me stopped. We were in bumper-to-bumper traffic, and he was, and one time, blam, slammed into the back of my car, tore up the back end of my car, and totaled his car. And I immediately went into pastor mode. I looked out, and the dude just looked devastated, and he was a young man, looked like he was in his early 20s, and he was so sorrowful, and he knew the whole thing was his fault, and I immediately rushed over, and I'm, are you okay? <laughs> He's like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, hey, bro, it happens, you know, it's, 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 I totally get it. Like, and he's like, yeah, man, I was late to work and I'm trying, I just moved here from, and I, I'm praying for him on the side of, we're, you know, we're waiting, like our cars are totaled, we're in the middle of free, our father just strengthened this young man. And, Lord, just give him peace in his heart. And you know what I mean? And later that afternoon, that same day, I go home 
And it's a beautiful day, so I sit out on my porch, on my, my, my balcony, and I grab my journal. And I start writing in my journal. And as I start writing in my journal, I had a thought. My daughter's in the eighth grade. In five years, she's going to graduate high school and move away to college. And I fell apart. <gasps> And I caught myself, wait, wait a minute. Why am I crying about something that's not going to happen for another five years? Oh, I just got in a car accident on the freeway and I'm forcing myself to be okay. And because I'm forcing myself to be okay, that emotion has to go somewhere God graciously in that moment gave me the power to weep around another subject. But oftentimes, if you don't receive God's power to weep around the actual pain, it morphs into something quite ugly. David and his men in in 1 Samuel chapter 29, at this time, they had defected to the Philistines because David was tired of running from his life from King Saul. God had given him protection and, and preserved his life, but he ran out of faith in the continued protection of God. And so he said, the best thing I can do is go over to the Philistines. And once he got there, he felt the need to prove himself. So he wants to bring him and his mighty men and join the Philistine army in a battle against Israel. And David says, now the king, King Achish, will see what we can do. But the Philistine generals rejected David and his men and went and told Achish, you better tell them to get to stepping. You put them behind us, they're going to attack us from behind. How better to win the favor of his master than by giving him the heads of the Philistines. So King Achish says, y'all got to get up out, y'all got to go home. And David's like, why? What have we ever done? It's like, y'all got to go tomorrow morning. So they woke up early in the morning and they make this three-day trek back to the city of Ziklag, which was the city that Achish gave them and their families, and thankfully they were rejected. Because when they get back home, they find that their city has been burned to the ground and their wives and their children had all been carried away. And it said when they saw this, David and the people with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. Often what's underneath an unhealed hurt is an unmourned loss. Often what's underneath unforgiveness is a failure of mourning. You cannot forgive someone for that which you have not mourned. When someone hurts you and causes loss and causes pain to your life, you've got to properly mourn the loss. You've got to properly mourn the pain before you can actually forgive the person. Often what's underneath unrepentant sin is an unhealed hurt. And under that unhealed hurt is an unmourned loss. And oftentimes the best thing you can do if you're battling some unrepentant sin or if you're battling some unforgiveness in your heart or even if you just have some unhealed hurt that you can't get past, sometimes the best thing you can do is simply go back to that moment of loss that's underneath it and spend some time mourning and weeping. Our congregation joined the Free Methodist Church a couple of years ago, and I'm not used to being a part of a denomination, and there's these meetings that we get called to, all the pastors in our conferences, we get called to these meetings, and they're mandatory, you got to be there. And I was at one of these meetings, and the bishops were leading, and it was a small number of pastors, and they were dealing with unforgiveness. And they were like, 
let's, you know, ask the Lord to show you who you need to forgive. And I was like, man, I don't need to forgive nobody. I've forgiven everybody. I walk in the joy of the Lord because I'm okay. I'm good, man. I walk in the room like that every day. This is me. This is, this, this, this is how you, when you see me, this is what you get, right? And so he's like, okay, break into groups of two and just ask the Lord to just put a name or two on your heart. And uh, so I thought, okay, I'm going to minister to this other pastor here. <laughs> right? So my pastor friend and I, we took hands and uh, we both prayed. And um, he said, he named a couple names, you know, and I was like, all right, I'm going to agree with you with that. And a couple names came to my, my mind and I said, okay. And I named those names. And as soon as I said their names, I fell apart. <gasps> and this is what came out of me. I started saying, God, they hurt me so bad. Oh, that's all I could say. They hurt me so bad. Lord, they hurt me so bad. God, they hurt me so bad. They hurt me so bad. And I just cried and cried and cried. Didn't see that coming. And I just like made my way to the altar. And one by one, all of us pastors, all of us weeping, we all just came and fell at the altar. We're just all weeping. I'm just crying and crying. And the bishops came by to us one by one. And just anointed us with oil and said, your sins are forgiven. All is well. And all of a sudden in my heart, I felt this release and this forgiveness transpire. And I realized that around both of those situations that I had worked on forgiveness without mourning. Forgiveness without grief. And that what God had to give me was the power to weep. Psalm chapter 30 has two verses that I think are so powerful and so poignant. First of all, Psalm chapter 30 verse 5 says, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. But do you realize that that also means that joy does not come in the morning unless you allow weeping to endure for the night? And the modern day church is so triumphalistic that we do everything in our power to truncate the weeping, to truncate the mourning, to truncate the the grieving, to cut it short, to cut it off. Just be okay. Go back to victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. It says weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes. In the morning, we don't allow joy to come. We try to take it prematurely for ourselves. When God is giving us the power to weep, we are often reaching for the power to rejoice. And in doing so, we cut short the healing process of the Holy Spirit deep down on the inside of us because you don't allow the Spirit of God to empower you to cry it out. And the second verse there in Psalm chapter 30 is verse 11. And the psalmist says, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. I didn't do it. You did it. I didn't make the decision to move on. You moved me on. I wept and said, Lord, I'm going to allow myself to weep until you turn my mourning into dancing. And I don't, I don't even know how it happened. All I knew was I was weeping one moment and dancing the next moment. And I don't even know how that transition happened except to say, you have turned my mourning into dancing. 
You have turned for me. I love that language. You have turned for me. My mourning into dancing. The problem is that if you don't allow the Lord to make that transition in that process of mourning, if it's not done in the spirit, if it's not done in the presence of the Lord, the enemy is waiting to inject bitterness into your mourning. The enemy is waiting to inject deception into your mourning. The enemy is waiting to inject delusion into your mourning. Because if he can inject bitterness, deception, and delusion into your mourning, the fruit of your mourning will be division and violence. David and his men are weeping until the power to weep lifts. And when the power to weep lifts, you're either going to do something amazing, you're either going to do something wonderful, or you're going to do something terrible. You're never so dangerous as you are at the moment when the power to weep lifts. You're dangerous both to the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God. And you have a choice. Which kingdom are you going to do damage to? Because you're going to do damage to a kingdom at that moment. David notices that the power to weep lifts and he starts hearing grumbling. And he starts hearing whispering. And he's listening in and you know what he hears them whispering about? Stoning David. And David's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Uh-oh. Like Chris Rock when he saw when he saw Will Smith coming up to the Oh, <laughs> except he didn't just stand there and go. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just. When David sensed that his men were getting ready to do something terrible, God gave him wisdom to lead them to do something wonderful. First, he encouraged himself in the Lord. I was reading about this and it reminded me of this passage in Genesis 27, I believe, somewhere around verse 42, when it was talking about Esau. You know how Esau was so mad at at Jacob because Jacob stole his birthright and his blessing. And Esau, it said that Esau thought to himself, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. And when they're over, I'm going to kill me some Jacob. He was comforting himself. Here's how I'm going to make myself feel better after daddy dies. I'm going to choke Jacob to death. When the days of mourning are over, I'm going to kill somebody. You're either going to do something wonderful or you're going to do something terrible. A lot of people in the body of Christ don't grieve because they were taught not to grieve. A lot of people in the body of Christ get stuck in grief and can't find their way out because they inadvertently open their hearts to the deception of the enemy and to the bitterness of the enemy. You're supposed to grieve. You're not supposed to be tormented. And for many, grief becomes torment. Grief, when injected with bitterness, equals torment. Or grief, when injected with regret, equals torment. Bitterness and regret. Bitterness is when you have unprocessed wounds that have been inflicted upon you by someone else. Or at least that you have perceived. <laughs> you know, my wife and I just read this book by Richard Rohr, and he made this, this comment. He said that there is an infinitely greater amount of offendedness in the world than there is offense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
And what tends to happen is that a person perceives offense from someone that never intended any offense towards them. And so then they become offensive, which causes the perceived offender to become offensive, creating a new offense. (laughs) And it just goes on and on and on and on. That there's always an infinitely greater amount of offense, offendedness in the world, then there is offense. Bitterness injected into your mourning and your grief creates torment. And regret injected into your mourning or grief creates torment. You're supposed to mourn. You're not supposed to be tormented. Mourning as a means of release. The fruit of mourning is supposed to be forgiveness and release. And even forgiveness of yourself. Receiving God's forgiveness. I remember my uncle passed away in 2003. My uncle, my father's older brother, he was my godfather. We were with him every day. He was our sixth grade, our fifth grade school teacher. And, um, Every single day from the time we were in kindergarten to the time we graduated high school, my brothers and I, even when we didn't need to anymore, we went to his classroom every day after school and hung out with him. He was, we were super close to him. So every Father's Day, I called him and wished him a happy Father's Day. 2003, I'm in Virginia and I'm studying and it's Father's Day and I thought I'm busy today. I'll call him tomorrow and tomorrow I get a call from my mom that he's dead. He just had a heart attack and died. And instantly... I was overwhelmed with grief, but underneath all that grief was regret. I should have called him yesterday. I should have called him yesterday. And the grief was so deep for me until God gave me a revelation that my uncle is with him and knows fully, even as he is known fully, watching me run my race and is not disappointed with me for not calling him on Father's Day. Releasing regret, releasing bitterness allows your mourning to be pure. When God purifies your mourning, that's the beginning of healing. SP, you just went through something. You just went through a very difficult time. And like David and his men, you've come home and folks are not here anymore that used to be here. And that's painful. Folks are not here anymore that used to be here. And that's painful that there's some people that have been carried away. And I think part of this season and part of this moment is simply allowing yourselves to properly grieve about that. And to properly mourn about that without bitterness or without regret. Surrendering the bitterness and the regret to God, but allowing the mourning and allowing the weeping, allowing that gift of mourning, that gift of weeping to come. And maybe this message is not for all of you, because maybe maybe there are some of you here tonight, and you've already done that. You cried it out, and you know, one of the guys in my church, his mother passed away. And this is one of those dudes who, like, he got saved because he met Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Like, a lot of people get saved because they met the church. You know what I mean? And, and the church said, say this prayer, and now you're saved. But then some people get saved because they meet Jesus. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and it's like a real Jesus thing. This guy, like, he got saved because he met Jesus, and Jesus, like, radically changed his life. So he does things instinctu- instinctively that he was never taught to do. So his mother died suddenly, unexpectedly. Nobody knew she was sick. And the grief was overwhelming. So he went into his living room, and he just turned on some worship music. 
And he wailed and wept and screamed and cried and rolled around the floor. But in all of his weeping and wailing and screaming and crying, he worshipped. I mean, he just wept and wailed and worshipped and wept and wailed and worshipped and wept and wailed and worshipped and didn't put a time limit on it and just let himself go. And he went for hours, three or four hours. And then all of a sudden, this joy came. And he got up and he just felt washed. He just felt washed. Was that the end of his grief? No. No. But the flood had passed. See, the thing about grief is when you experience it, when you've truly lost, that sense of loss doesn't go away. Ever. You carry it with you. It's like when you lose a loved one, that loved one is always lost to you. And I know, I mean, you're going to see him again one day, right? It's like John 11. It's my favorite pa- one of my favorite passages of scripture. Jesus finds out that his friend Lazarus is dead. Goes to Bethany and shows up. He's already been in the ground for four days. And then first, Martha comes and falls at his feet and says, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And what does Jesus do with Martha? He gives her a theology lesson. Your brother will rise again. And Martha says, I know. He'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the last day. He who believes in me, though he dies, he shall live. And he who believes in me and lives shall never die. Do you believe this? And Martha says, yes, Lord. And then Martha goes and gets Mary. And Mary comes and falls at the feet of Jesus and says exactly the same thing Martha said. Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't give her a theology lesson. Says, Jesus says, where have you laid him? And they say, this way, Lord. John eleven thirty five, 35, the most explosive verse in the entire Bible. Jesus wept. Even though he knew he was about to work a miracle in about four or five minutes. He wept. It says he was deeply troubled and moved in his spirit and he wept. It says when he saw Mary weeping and he saw the people with her weeping, he was deeply, it says he groaned in his spirit and was deeply troubled and then he wept, just fell apart and he cried. Why? Why would you cry when you're getting ready to fix it? That's how husbands think at least. Want me to fix it? My wife says, oh, my leg hurts. Well, maybe you shouldn't have, uh, you know, you, when, when you run, you got to, you know, not snap the, you know what I mean? Like, we're always trying to fix it. Why does Jesus give Martha a theology lesson but just look into Mary's eyes and cry? Because remember that day when he was at Mary and Martha's house and Mary sat at his feet, but Martha was busy in the kitchen. And finally, Martha was so mad, she stopped him and said, Lord, tell Mary to come help me with these dishes. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, your mind is concerned with so many things. Mary has chosen the better thing, and it will not be taken from her. Jesus gave Mary the theology lesson that night while Martha was in the kitchen. So when the tragedy hit, Martha needed the truth 
Mary simply needed his heart. And inside every one of us is a Martha that needs the truth and a Mary that just needs his heart. And we're constantly giving Martha the truth, constantly speaking theology to Martha, but we're not taking the time to weep with Mary. Jesus preaches to Martha and weeps with Mary, and he wants to preach to the Martha in you, but he also wants to weep with the Mary in you. And for many of you, there's problems in your life that he's getting ready to fix, but he still wants to take a moment to weep with you over that problem. Why? Because Jesus knew that real pain had already been experienced in that community. Jesus knew that somebody had to stand by his bedside and watch him gasp for breath until he breathed his last. Jesus knew that somebody had to dress his body for burial. Jesus knew that somebody had to stand by his tomb and find the wherewithal to say something about this man who had died. Jesus knew the pain that the family had already experienced. Jesus knew and when he looked into their eyes he wept with them he wept with them he wept with them because he felt all of their pain this is what it means that he himself bore our griefs and carried our sorrows but we consider him stricken by God smitten by him and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our and it's not just talking about the cross as an event This is the character of Jesus. He bears our griefs. He carries our sorrows. He weeps with our pain. And if you want to rejoice with him, sometimes you got to learn how to weep with him. Because in actuality, he's weeping with you. So you can rejoice with him. Here's the crazy thing. Even in this situation with David and his men, God knew that he was about to bring about a great reversal. God knew that he was transitioning them into a new season of victory. And tomorrow morning, we're going to talk about that season of victory. Tomorrow morning, we're going to talk about that victory that God gave them when their weeping was done. But David had to wake up and encourage himself in the Lord. But before God was ready to release them into that season of victory, he gave them a moment to lift up their voice. And he says, I'm giving you the power to weep right now. Not giving you the power to fix not giving you the power to heal, not giving you the power even to forgive. The Holy Spirit, nobody was preaching or prophesying, you got to forgive those Amalekites for coming in here and burning your city down. No, it wasn't about that. It's not about fault. It's not about whose fault it was. It's not about what needs to happen to repair it. This is your moment. This is your moment. The Holy Spirit was just anointing people to weep. Just the anointing of the Holy Spirit was coming. The power to weep. The anointing of the same way the Holy Spirit. Do you know that so many of the desert fathers talked about weeping as a gift of the Holy Spirit? The gift of tears. That divine consolation comes through the gift of tears. The power to weep. Jesus enters into that place with his friends. He says, don't worry. I got a miracle in store for you that's going to blow you away. Weeping is not the end of the story. It's a moment. But you can't skip that moment. Can't fast forward through that moment. That's the part we always want to fast forward through. Let's just get through that and pretend it's over. Solomon's porch, I tell you by the word of the Lord, everything's okay. You're going to be okay. (laughs) And you know that. You know that. You've already got victory. You already got a future and a hope. God's not done with you. You think you've been fruitful before? You ain't seen nothing yet. 
tonight, I just feel like some of you are aware of the unhealed hurt, but you're not aware of the unmourned loss. And when you're aware of the unhealed hurt, but not the unmourned loss, the only thing you can think about is who's responsible for this hurt? Who is it? And unforgiveness is such a tricky thing because just when you think you've forgiven, you realize you have, you know what I'm talking about? Like, <laughs> it's like, man, I forgive. And then two weeks later, I pull that person out of my heart and slap them around. In my- <laughs> oh, 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 Lord, I forgive. <laughs> and I think a lot of you are like me. The person I pull out and slap around in my mind the most is myself. Go beneath it. Go beneath it. Go beneath it. Mourn the loss. Bring the loss to the Lord. Let yourself feel the pain. We're so good at like, I don't feel it. I don't feel nothing. You see those, those boxers, and there's so many of these highlight reels where the boxers are in the room, ring, and they pretend that they're immune to punches. They're like, go ahead, go ahead. And they're like, boom, boom. Like, that's, go ahead, go ahead. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, that's right. You can't knock me out. Pop. <laughs> it's like, that's the stupidest way to lose a fight. Like, what did you think? You were super scion or something? Like, what did you think was going to happen? That's how Christians are sometimes. We just pretend I don't feel nothing. Go ahead, devil. Take your best shot. (laughs) Some of you have been repenting for that for which you need to be healed. And no amount of repentance will fix it. You've got to go underneath it and mourn the loss. And let the Lord heal you. And some of you are begging God to help you forgive for that for which you need to be healed. Underneath it, ask God to give you the power to weep. Ask God to give you the power to weep. Now, we're going to do something tonight. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. And as they do, I want to just kind of set the stage. Some of you, the Holy Spirit is already working this in you. Because I'm seeing tears in eyes. Like some of you, this is, some of you are like already emotionally like open. So this type of word is like, man, (laughs) I didn't even know I had anything to weep. Like, it's like, somebody, this is going to be easy. Others of you, this is not going to be so easy. And some of you, it's not going to happen for you tonight. And if that's you, don't worry. There's nothing wrong with you. Don't let the devil beat you up because you don't get the same emotional response that other people get. The thing with grief is you don't have to try to make it come. You just have to let it come. You know, when I went and visited the home of the Davises, they lost their father. I was moved by the way the family allowed one another to each weep when they needed to weep and laugh when they needed to laugh. You know? When the body came out, everybody was weeping, but after the body left, we went in the house and Somebody said something funny and they laughed. But while they were laughing, one of the daughters sat down on the couch and just started crying. Nobody told her, stop crying. And also nobody felt like obligated to join her. Let's all cry with her. It was just, this is her moment, let her have it. And then another, later on in the night, went sat on another couch and had her moment, she cried. And then a little while later, the son cried. It was like, 
It's not about cookie cutter, everybody has to do it this way, at this moment, in this time. And it's not about like it's not okay to laugh or to be happy. The key is with grief, let it come when it comes. And as I'm releasing this word, some of you are going to experience it tonight. Some of you aren't. Some of you, it might hit you when you get home. Some of you might hit you tomorrow morning. Some of you might hit you a week from now. Some of you might hit you a month from now. I don't know. I'm not the Holy Spirit. And none of us can control the Holy Spirit. And it's best that we don't try. But the key is that you simply open your heart. Simply open your heart. And say, Lord, if you want to give me the power to mourn, the power to weep, the power to release my heart is open. I'm not going to try to stop it anymore. And you know, most of us, we are subconsciously stopping our own grief. I know I do. That's me. I don't do it intentionally. I don't just say, you know what? I'm not going to grieve. I just don't feel it. I don't feel nothing. Until we're watching some movie that's even remotely sad. And then, and my wife and daughter are laughing at me. You think I'm the most sensitive person in the world. It's just around the stuff that I should be crying about. I don't. So that emotion has to go somewhere. So it comes out at stupid times. And I've learned to go back to my journal and say, okay, what was that really about? What's underneath like work? Where should I have experienced grief but didn't allow myself to? And what area of my life did I too quickly try to move past this and say I was okay? And allow the Holy Spirit to take me back to those moments. And when the Holy Spirit takes me back to those moments, a lot of times, He gives me the power to weep around that thing I promise you there's joy on the other side of it you don't have to be afraid there's joy on the other side of it you just make sure that your heart is closed to the enemy who wants to bring bitterness and regret John Wooden said you're not a failure till you start to blame the one thing that will disrupt your grief is blame You're not grieving if you're blaming. You got to get that out of your mind. Just focus on the real pain, the real loss. What did I lose? And the Holy Spirit is waiting to minister to you in that pain. Bow your heads with me just for a moment. Father, I thank you tonight. I thank you tonight that this is a, a watershed moment kind of a crossing of a Jordan for this congregation over the last 20 years there's been a lot of victories but there's also been a lot of loss and a lot of pain and Lord not just at the congregational level but even at the individual level Lord there are many under the sound of my voice both in this room and on the live stream who have pain that they've never allowed themselves to mourn Lord, we find ourselves stuck in places, ruts that we can't get out of simply because we haven't opened our hearts to receive the power to mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But that means that you've got to allow yourself to mourn if you're going to receive the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So tonight, Holy Spirit, we open our hearts to you. We close our hearts to the deception of the enemy. We close our hearts to bitterness. We close our hearts to regret. But we open our hearts, Father, to the grief and the mourning that we need to express tonight. And Holy Spirit, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would grant the power to weep, the power to mourn, the power to mourn. Hold me fast till you have washed me in the salty tears of mourning. 
what we find is that tears of gladness and of sorrow are alike. The saltiness is uniform, cruciform. My heart in humble reverence, I adore. I thank you, Father. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for this moment. That there's safety here. There's safety here. It's going to be okay. Everything is okay. Everything is okay. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. Just let yourself feel it. He's with you in it. Surely he has borne your griefs and carried your sorrows. And he's even now bearing your griefs and carrying your sorrows. And there's fellowship with him. Don't let him bear your griefs by himself. Fellowship with him in it. man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Thank you, Lord. The worship team's going to sing. And as you feel led, you can come and kneel at this altar. You can stay where you are. You can pray for one another. You can go sit with someone and put your arm around them and hug. Some of you are going to need to do that. You need to reach out come to the altar and pray together I I, I don't even know how to orchestrate this except to say let the Holy Spirit have his way tonight let the Holy Lord just open up the floodgates open up the floodgates and Father let this be an act of worship not just an act of emotion but an act of worship that we open our hearts to the grief so that we might bring it to your feet and we offer it to you Lord so many times we offer you only the good stuff but tonight we offer you the grief in the morning pain. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. receive an anointing for something, you come to the altar, you open up your heart, you lift up your hands, we're going to do that right now. Like, if you, you, you heard this message tonight, your heart says, I want this. I want God to give me this anointing, the power to mourn, the power to weep. I want the Holy Spirit to empower this in me. I want you to just get up out of your seat and just come stand here at the altar and just reach for God, just reach for God. Just reach us. Come on. Come on up to this altar. I just feel like we just got to activate ourselves to, to respond to this message and to say, God, I'm ready. God, I'm ready. I'm reaching for this. Yes, God. Yes, God. Yes, God, as they come. Oh, Christ be magnified. Oh, 
Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. And oh, Christ be magnified on the altar of my life. Christ be magnified. Oh, Christ be magnified. And oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. And oh, Christ be magnified on the altar of my life. Christ be magnified in me. And every creature finds a sinless melody And every human heart is native pride Oh, then in one enraptured hymn of praise We'll sing Christ be magnified Be magnified discipled since he was 16 years old, Joseph, you know Joseph, his son died, his little boy, Milo, and he was about two years old, 18 months, he was young, died of cancer, and it was, it was a a horrendous event. I remember going to the funeral with my wife and early in the funeral I looked over at my wife and she was just weeping and bawling and it dawned on me at that moment through this whole ordeal we've been praying with them we've been fasting with them my wife and I were driving back and forth to Sacramento to go to the hospital to pray for him and lay hands on him we were on the phone with Joseph and Andrea and covering them But through the whole ordeal, I realized I had yet to shed a single tear for Milo. And I realized my heart wasn't open to allow that to happen. And I sat there and for the rest of the funeral, I prayed this prayer. 
Lord, I open my heart. I realize my heart is closed. Lord, I open my heart. I open my heart. I open my heart. That's all I said. Lord, I open my heart. I didn't try to make myself cry. Just, Lord, I open my heart. I open my heart. And I I prayed that just for about an hour and a half for the rest of that funeral. And at the end of the funeral, I was supposed to sing the benediction. The Lord bless thee and keep, bless you and keep you. And the moment I stood to sing the benediction, my heart, it's like the gates of my heart just flew open. And all of the grief came. And I wept and wept and wept and wept and wept. And I went and sat in my seat. And I just wept and wept and wept. Now here's what's crazy. That was a Saturday. The next morning, my wife and I got up and we drove to our church. And we walked into the fellowship hall. And the moment we stepped into the fellowship hall at church, something amazing happened. I looked around the room and I noticed something that happens every week, but I had not noticed until that day. The moment my wife and I walked into the fellowship hall, every eye of every person turned towards us and every face exploded with delight. And I felt all of this love. And I realized our community showers us with this love every week, but I don't feel it. Because if my heart is closed to pain, my heart is also closed to love. Because if I can't feel the grief, I also can't feel the love. Because what, if, what is grief if not a measure of love? And I realized that to protect myself from the pain of this grief, I was protecting myself from the joy of this love. I guarantee you, number one, that if you just pray that prayer in your heart, Lord Jesus, I open my heart. I open my heart to whatever pain I'm protecting myself from. I open my heart to it. Whatever sense of loss I'm shielding myself from, I open my heart to it. That not only will you begin to feel that that pain, but on the other side of that pain, You'll become aware of the love that's all around you. And so many people feel unloved simply because they don't know how to grieve. Feel unnoticed simply because they don't know how to grieve. And when your heart opens, your heart opens. And when your heart closes, your heart closes. But tonight, your heart is opening. I just sense it in the atmosphere. Hearts are opening. And yes, you're going to experience grief. And yes, you're going to feel pain. But on the other side of that, there's a new love waiting for you and a new expression of the love and joy of your community that's all around you. Love that's all around you. Joy that's all around you that you couldn't feel before. There's going to be a new love and a new ability to feel it and to share it and to give it to one another. New life like Lazarus coming out of the tomb. Like Lazarus coming out of the tomb. Father, I just speak your blessing over this house tonight in the name of Jesus. And I thank you that you're doing it. And you're doing it not by might, not by power, but by your spirit. It's the work of your spirit, Lord. Because when you give us the power to grieve, the power to mourn, the power to weep, you also give us the power to rejoice. You turn our mourning into dancing, our sorrow into shouts of joy. So, Father, take away any fear. Take away the fear. The fear from every heart. I speak your blessing tonight. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Come on, sing it. Oh, Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Come on, everybody, stand up on your feet and lift up your hands and sing it. Be magnified in our grief. Be magnified in our grief. Be magnified in our 
Christ be magnified. Let his praise arise. Christ be magnified in me. Oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life. Christ be magnified in me. Father, I speak your blessing over your sons and daughters. I thank you for this church, this family of churches, this whole movement. It is marvelous. And the latter days of this ministry shall be greater than the former. There's many Lazaruses that will come out of many tombs. Thank you for this moment. I speak blessing and encouragement. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen and amen and amen and amen.